Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and from the podcast with one of the greatest names in the entire podosphere, I'm delighted to be joined by Liam Tharm. Liam, how are you and thank you for joining us. I'm very well, thank you, David. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, Quite a busy period. Um, Have you enjoyed the international break or, yeah, like most sane people, desperate desperate for the agony to end? (laughs) Uh, a bit of both, really. Um, to be honest, I'll, I'll admit I haven't actually really watched much of England um, this this sort of break. Um, it, as I was saying, sort of on, on the podcast that, that I do um, for, for Brighton, it, it always seems to creep up on me. I find the, the early sort of September or end of August sort of like international break. Um, yes, yeah, so you sort of two three games and you're slightly settling into Premier League, and then bang, it sort of slaps you in the face. Um, so very much looking forward to domestic football returning, but um, I, I think with the um, with the you know the the nature of football, sometimes it, it can be nice to to have a week off or so, um, just just to sort of settle down a little bit, um, especially after the sort of start we had where it was was quite a fast start and then um, with with a loss, so um, wasn't terrible. But yeah, looking forward to it uh, starting back up again. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a bit mixed, I think. And um, what I have caught, I've not been impressed with, and what I've missed seems equally as bad. So, um, yeah, eager to get the <laughs> e- eager to get the league season back on back up and running. Um, for those unaware of your work or possibly your podcast, could you could you bring us up to speed? Like, let us know a little bit about them. Sure. So the podcast is called Expected Goals, which is spelt um, expected as normal, but goals not G O. A-L-S, but G-U-L-L-S um, is a reflection of Brighton's nickname being, being the Seagulls. Tried to be um, a, a bit punny with that one. So that's a podcast that I do with um, one of my friends, Charlie, who's, who's a season ticket holder um, at, at the Amex. We both sit in sort of the same part of the ground. Um, it's often sort of half-time or after games we'll be, be in the concourse chatting and d- discussing our thoughts. So it's basically just a place where, because we'll often be, be talking in, in DMs and stuff and um, sharing our thoughts where we just thought, OK, let's, let's do that and let's put it out and sort of see um, if anyone wants to sort of listen to it and, and contribute their ideas and just sort of make a, a nice space for sort of Brighton, tactical, statistical, you know, other forms of analysis, 
Um, and that's sort of linked into into the page that I do, which is called Albion Analytics on Twitter, um, which again is just sort of a, a hub really that I started um, a few years back now, 2019, uh, just after Chris Hughes had left when Graham Potter came in. Um, and the idea was I, was I was just finishing my first year of university at the time, um, which was sort of a, a football-related coaching degree that I was doing and part of the degree encouraged us to sort of step into the wider areas of football. And one of those was analysis. So for me, that sort of intended really to sort of be a portfolio and a place where I could just sort of learn about analysis, put some work out and store it all in one place that I could refer people just to, you know, rather than having documents to send of, here's my page, sort of go, go and scroll through it. Um, and yeah, it very quickly sort of gained, gained some traction and people were really interested into it. And um, yeah, it, it's now sort of something really enjoyable that I do um, and I think offers a, a, a big perspective for me on, a, on other ways to look at football um, and for other people too. And it's, you know, I, I'm really, really pleased to see sort of the... Um, the, the way in which the, the Brighton community is very readily sort of taken to data. Lots of people are sort of very interested in it, very critical of it, rightly, at times as well. But, um, yeah, they're all really receptive to it, which is um, all I can ask for, really. So um, that's fantastic. I'm unfortunate now as well to be doing some, some writing for the club website and doing some articles looking at players, sort of post-match reviews as well, offering some numerical and some sort of tactical insight into that. So, yeah, I really can't complain at all. Yes, yeah, awesome stuff there. Um, yeah, seeing you, yeah, following you for a little bit now, and then seeing you um, move into doing some official stuff for the club has been, um, yeah, a testament to how good your work has been, and and yeah, the take up as well. And Brighton are quite a forward-thinking club, so um, Brentford obviously get tagged as forward-thinking as well. Maybe Brentford, um, <laughs> the, the actual official site, can start actually bringing on some bit more sort of <laughs> interesting analysis-based pieces instead of. The usual um, social media churn that we just see <laughs> trying to get likes but um yeah that's for another conversation but yeah expected goals is um one of my favorite pod names uh when i first came across it it made me laugh um chuckled and um yeah it's it's the kind of puns we love here at beast tactical too um but yeah great stuff thanks for um thanks for the explainer and um intro to to some of the bits you do um yeah we're here bob yeah we're here to chat about the the Brighton match, Brentford Brighton coming up this weekend. Um, it's almost upon us. It's it's nearly here. We've had a little break, and um, yeah, it's been a while since Brentford have played Brighton, and lots of things have happened with both clubs in that time. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a good time to chat to someone who's really knowledgeable, focused on them, and then we'll probably have a good oversight of Brentford as well. So you can you can, you can um, basically just look and see how some of the the differences between the two teams will come up against each other and. Um, benefit either one so um yeah i reckon we move into the move into the pod proper you ready to go let's do it good stuff let's do it okay um yeah from the outset i guess um let's start with some brighton season expectations so potter's um yeah established himself now as a as the type of coach he is um yeah forward thinking possession based um, forward thinking probably gets used a bit too often but um, we kind of get his style now. Um, is there is there more pressure on him now this um, with this season? Uh, how do you how do you sort of assess the expectations and um, from the manager's perspective too? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, I, th- I think there's always going to be pressure on every sort of uh, Premier League manager in particular ever. I know that from sort of when I've looked at some studies that sort of the the average rate I think of managers is, is like less than two seasons now in terms of average tenure. And there's this famous statement about like you're only six games away from sort of the sack. Um, so yeah, sort of immense pressure. I imagine he put quite a lot of pressure on himself as well. Um, I think he's got a lot of the building blocks in there. I think last season, sort of my my assessment to most people to be as succinct as possible was: I think we were one of the best teams in the league between both boxes, and one of the worst teams in the league in both boxes. Um, of course, not being stupid in that in both boxes where sort of games are won or lost, but of course getting the 
ball to and from either box or stopping it going to or from either boxes is actually what constitutes the majority of football, despite it obviously being being less important. Um, and there were there were serious building building blocks in there, um, a lot of good things. Which have, you know, it's nice to see that we've kept them this season. It's not been like a radical style overhaul, and you know, he's, he's really trusting trusting his process. And I, it's a statement I, I don't always you know always agree with. Where people say, "Oh, trust the process." Well, what if the process is terrible? Um, but I think it's quite clear to see. And I think you, you know, when non Brighton fans watch games, they say like, you know, "You're you're playing some really aesthetic football. That you're doing a lot of good things right." Um, you know, we're bringing the average age of our squad down, so it's not exactly like these are players that are coming towards peak years necessarily. These are players that we're buying and recruiting with with experience, with lots of experience. Um, you know, sort of European football now, um, internationally in in top top five European leagues, but we've got plenty of years to develop. And, and these are players that um, are probably on the more flexible end of the scale. Um, so, I, I for me, I think progression would be any anything points wise better than what we got last season. And um, I'm not too worried about finishing position. Uh, we've got 41 points for the last two seasons running. So, you know, I think it'd be nice to break that. But for me, first expectation is always let's just stay in the league um, and then we can push on from there. The, the club have said that their sort of long-term aim is to be a top 10 Premier League side, um, which I don't think is an impossible aim at all. Um, but I think, you know, you, you can have multiple aims in the season. If your first one is, you know, let's let's take off survival and then see where we go from there, that's perfectly fine by me. Um, so it might be, might be a bit pessimistic from, from my perspective, but I think it's important to, to walk before you can run. Um, and I think Potter will be dying to sort of improve that points total, especially with you know, the number of points we dropped last season from, from winning positions that we, we really weren't far off with some better game management at the time, some better decisions and, and fine margins falling a bit more in our favour. Um, you could quite easily have had a, a much better points total. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting how you approach that. I, th- I think um, from these first three games, um, uh, you've had a loss to Everton, um win against Burnley and a win against Watford. Is there anything that you've seen signal-wise that's that's slightly alarming or any red flags into kind of the season expectations or is it is it kind of exactly what you expect like as you were saying about the team style looks quite similar and um, the process looks very similar um, I think it's hard to draw ridiculous amounts of sort of three games which is ironic because I literally wrote a piece the other day comparing sort of our, our three games this, this season to like our three game average last season um, obviously caveated with the fact that this is down to opponents and stuff that we play as well and game state and there's a lot more variability in, in just three games Um I suppose the, the, the one annoyance was sort of, you know, on, on our opening day at Burnley, conceding for set piece or sort of two, three minutes in. I know they're one of the, the best set piece sides in the league, Burnley, um, but we were really poor from them last season. Um, and I, I really feel for Potter because it's really not a situation, well, and, and the whole coaching staff, in fact, it's not um, an easy sort of situation to sort of remedy. Um, and Burnley executed their sort of set piece routine um, to perfection, sort of using Jack Cork to, to pin Robert Sanchez and stop him coming to, to pick, pick as many um, sort of corners up the sky as he does. Um, and then, you know, Mapai sort of, uh, he got flattened really by James Tarkovsky. Um, obviously, you know, a, a batter to two ex-Brentford players um, and end up with the, with the ball in the net and almost happened half an hour later. So I think that that was a frustration. Um, but it, it was quite nice to see in sort of the opening two games that we, we'd been a side that had struggled, you know, when we'd conceded and also struggled holding on to leads when we were winning. Um, so to come back from a losing position on the opening day was, was fantastic. Um, and to win a game when we hadn't played fantastically, particularly in the first half, was great. Um, and then against Watford to hold on quite comfortably in the end um, was really nice. Against Everton, we, we were uh, a, a bit meh, but I think you account for those games sometimes. And in, in all honesty, winning against the likes of Burnley and, and Watford, the sort of games that we didn't always win last season, um, I, I think when we played against you know the teams that finished in the bottom six, I think we only won one game from memory. We drew an awful lot. 
Um, so that is already sort of a positive and something we can build on. Um, so not, not too much glaring at all. Um, again, it's sort of fixing those, those fine margins and those, you know, the devils in the detail sort of thing, um, those sort of key, key moments. Um, but for the most part, I think it's all, all been a really positive start. Um, although and the caveat that I've said to people is that our start's quite favorable. Um, we, I think based on sort of like average expectation of finish or, or previous sort of league position, um, our start was among sort of the top four or five easiest, quote unquote. Um, so this is sort of a, a run of fixtures where, like it's it's great, it's fantastic. We started well, but we do also need to start well. Otherwise, we you know we don't want to be going into sort of November, December time having to then play some some really tough sides where we might not get anything from those games and, and needing to get something. Um, so yeah, a, a good start um, and a, a good start that we needed also. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, so the transfer window is just closed. Um, is there anything glaring that was just not addressed? Um, I know you brought in some wide forwards. Um, uh, I know Sim has just been immediately loaned out to Stoke as well, which is. Which might have some might have view is a little bit strange, but um, how how have you felt? Is there anything missing, or is there anything you would have liked to have done or kept, or or anything in that angle? Um, I mean, Brighton fans will be be screaming at me um, as, as the as the mouthpiece here to to say about the, the lack of a striker that's been brought in um, in, in the summer window. Well, I mean, technically, uh, and one hasn't been brought in. Danny Welbeck was was re-signed for another year, um, which for me was was a really really smart signing. Some of the numbers, particularly that he puts up in terms of his shot quality, how close the goal he gets. Um, you know, get gets on the three balls really well. I think one of our big problems last season was we we made enough big chances, uh, but lots of them were sort of in a bit more bit more chaotic sort of penalty areas where they were off cutbacks um, or sort of balls dropping from crosses, um, where there still were lots of bodies around. And I think that pressure does have an impact. Um, I'd have liked us to sort of get in behind a bit more, sort of, you know, break that last line of defence, get those one v goalkeeper situations. Um, or at least with a, with a lot of fewer defenders, and, and Danny Welbeck does that really readily. Runs in behind really well. You know, plays off the sort of last on the defence, off the shoulder of the defenders. Um, and Brighton fans were crying out for a striker. It's something we sort of addressed on the pod, so I won't talk about it sort of in in, in too much here, because I'm sure you you want to talk about the game and stuff. So if people do sort of want to listen to um, a rant from me, really um, <laughs> about why sort of not signing striker was also an okay thing, um, please do go listen to sort of the, the latest episode of, of our podcast. It, it is up on our page. Um, but the long and the short of it was that was saying that in terms of our finances, that obviously they had the club having made a, a loss um, the season before last in, in the pandemic, um, or sorry, last season in, in the in the pandemic, um, the, the the finances aren't always there to recruit heavily to to throw a load of money at it. And I said also like who is available? The idea, okay, it's it's really really low level analysis to go. Brighton missed a lot of chances. They need a striker. It's like okay, I don't disagree that they need to score more goals, but you know, finding a player that suits that 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 can also do all the high-speed running, all the pressing and the link play that Mapai can do. You're then looking at, OK, are they going to score from the type of chances we create, um, from the size we like to create from and the methods we like to create if, if we're particularly across every team? I think there's so many variables that I, I think annoy me a bit that people didn't seem to consider too much. Um, and then the case of, OK, who do you start dropping for it? Do you then cast aside Neil Mapai, who has underperformed his, his XG, but I don't think that's a sole way to evaluate a player. He's still our best goal-scoring threat, gets into good positions, um, you know, links play really well and outstandingly good presser and a good press has been a feature of our sort of style of play um, so that for me was somewhere where I was saying okay there's other ways that we can you know look to get more goals I know you sort of you know I said Danny Murphy on, on match of the day about set pieces now um, yeah, I think for me the, the biggest part was we dropped 26 points from winning positions last season um, or it might be 25 sorry um, but we finished with 41 so that's like almost that's well over another 50% that we could have had um, 
and to think if we'd have sort of held out one or two more games, got five, six more points, we'd have been a lot further up the table. The conversation looks very different. Um, that's a, you know, if you can look at a better game management system or ways of seeing our games, that's a lot cheaper, a lot more readily available and a lot easier, I think, to do as a solution to sort of win you more points. I don't think the only way to become a more successful side is to go, let's lump loads of money on a striker and people look to the external solution a lot, um, which I think isn't always the, the best way to do it. So in a long-winded answer, um, some people would have said a striker. I personally don't subscribe to that entirely. I see where they come from, um, but for me, I was sort of content with that. And the players that we did bring in um, was really pleased with Mark Kukulera as well. Um, good threat down the left, really good, put up some great defensive numbers at Getafe, who I know are quite defensively minded. Um, but sort of last season, I, I sort of broke down the thread. Um, I looked at sort of the factors behind all, all of the goals that we scored. It was just over 15 all competitions. And one of the findings was um, we assisted a lot more from to the right of the penalty area than we did from the left. I think we had about two, three, four assists. Um, for, I think it was two, in fact, from the left to the left of the penalty area when I split the pitch into zones. And from the right, it was. Uh, it was in double figures, I think. It was our, our highest assist zone. Um, so clearly a need for some more creativity there. And it puts a lot of burden on Sonny March to, to do so from the left, too. It's exceptional. Um, but he got injured last season and missed half of the season. So if he's if he might might not be there for a period of time, you, you need some threat there. And, and Seema, I haven't watched too much of. Um, but I've seen some sort of threats and stuff on him. And he looks, again, another exciting player running in behind. Um, and as you mentioned, Angle and to Stoke, I think is a great move to the championship. Um, he, I think he was in, in the fifth tier of France. Uh, uh, a few seasons ago, so he's had a very rapid rise into track into the Premier League. I think would, would be really unfair on him, um, and and we've learned a lot of players out. So I think that's that's a big job for David Weir, the, the loans manager. Um, but but looking forward to see see how they all develop and see who who might be next to sort of come into to the senior side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. I guess conversely as well, going the other way, Ben White's gone to Arsenal. Um, uh, in the running order here, here it says, is that laughing all the way to the bank and clearly strengthening the squad, or is there something else at play? Mm-hmm. Is it is it a big miss? Um, no, I'm going to say no, it's not a big miss, not because he's not a quality player, because he's outstanding. And for me, he was archetypal of what isn't an excellent centre-back to have in a back three. Um, someone who, he looks a bit like a hybrid sort of central defender, full-back, sort of that Cesar Azpilicueta mould. Um, someone who, his foot speed is, is really good. He really does want to match uh, attackers' foot patterns when, when they're running. Um, so he, he can, he can you know, duel with them and try and get them off balance. Um, spins his hips really well. He's just such a great modern defender. For you've got forwards now that like to drop in a bit more, um, receive more to feet like a Neil Mapai, like a Harry Kane sort of mould. Um, yeah, he's he's so competent, sort of running in wide areas. I know that there's, um, people have probably seen uh, the, the goal Rashford scored um, earlier on against us sort of last season. Um, I think it was I think it was second or third game of the season, and he put he sat there and wiped down twice. Um, but he's you know he's he's so prepared to go out into wide areas to engage players. Um, not necessarily the most physical, but technically, sort of this last ditch tackling um, is great. He, you know, he's a fantastic tackler. Not so great aerially. I think that's what we've seen early doors from, from Arsenal um, in, in how they play. But what I've sort of said to Arsenal fans is I've said he sort of seems to me like every central defender that Arsenal have signed like for the last five years in terms of that like stylistic. You know, he's a great ball carrier. He's an exceptionally good dribbler with the ball. Um, and even when he does sort of then play forward, he doesn't stand still. He'll often be overlapping, running behind. Um, so provides provides that threat. Got a great passing range, but I'm saying you know I, I feel like Arsenal would be more suited to someone like a, a Lewis Dunk or an Adam Webster that can maybe box defender a, a bit better. You know, a bit more of a dominator in that area and um, can can really sort of just clear a ball. Can you know they're, they're excellent ball progressors as well, but someone who is perhaps a bit more used to sort of doing doing the older school style defending. Um, so I think you know Tony Bloom, Brighton's owner. I, I don't need to tell um, Brentford fans about about him, but. 
you know, it's, it's no surprise that we got the money that, that we did for him, given Tony Blair's background. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I wouldn't say laughing all the way to the bank because I think it's I think it's a fair fee in the current market. It's obviously an extortionate amount of money. Um, but, you know, for, for a son like Arsenal to come in, who have obviously got, got finances, um, he's, he's a young player. He's now in England International as well, which I guess bumps the fee up a bit more. Um, and an and academy graduate in testament to sort of Brighton's really sort of good academy recruitment and you know bringing him in at 16 after being released to Southampton is a player they've, they've paid very little to nothing for to then sort of spin him into that and um, a player now I think it's probably a great move for him as well because the chance of him now being eventually an England regular are probably skyrocketed even more because he's going to get European football etc um, so it's a it's a great move for him and the way I see it now is the players that we brought in in Enoch and Wepu in, in Mark Kukulea uh, in Seema as well, in Kiel Sherp, and a, a backup keeper. Um, and there's one more, Kikaru Matoma, a, a Japanese winger. So the, the girth of what we bought from is, is, is you know, really, really quite widespread. It shows how, how in-depth the recruitment department goes. But we've sort of spun Ben White into sort of five players. And uh, I remember sort of Spurs doing that historically quite badly with Gareth Bale money and bringing in like Roberto Soldado. But <laughs> I think we've made sort of five really smart purchases. There's sort of a couple that are, are for now. There's one that's sort of a, a good backup keeper. And there's a couple that... Sort of might be future players, so I quite like how it's balanced. That it's not sort of okay, White's going, we're looking for a replacement. It's spinning it differently. And if anyone knows anything about Brighton, it's we've got about 500 central defenders that um, can all sort of do a variety of roles. And I think we've got lots of cover and can play different systems. Shane Duffy's now come back in, and we're sort of using Webster maybe a bit more in sort of that Ben White mm. mold. Um, so I think that's the one thing about Graham Potter's style is he comes up with a lot of different solutions and how he sets his team up um, according to the opponent. I guess according to who he has available. Um, and I can't ever see him suiting a recruitment system where it's sort of one in for one out. I know that's supposedly what everyone talks about Brentford doing with when, they, when they've often lost a striker of not buying the type of replacement, but you're replacing an output. So you need to replace a player that can box defend or can progress a ball. It doesn't need to necessarily be the exact same um, style of player. So that, that I think is, uh, that, that's my assessment of it. I think that's the most sustainable and sensible way to do it. Yeah, yeah, some great stuff in there. I think the Arsenal stuff was just incredible it's just how they can continue to miss out on what they need off the ball and um defensively and just mm. um maybe some of those defensive intangibles that are just like like leadership is a strange word but that's what they're kind of missing and they still think it's the on the ball aesthetic stuff which um, <laughs> which they continue to try to buy and not get right but um yeah mm. it, it's great for i mean it keeps the football world going as well these big transfers moving on and not being afraid to sell is um, probably the biggest thing in recruitment that Brentford and Brighton and teams like that are, have maximised from other teams. Just you, you can't look at one player and think that player is pivotal to everything because they're not. You have to just be confident mm. in that what comes in and and um, strengthening the other areas of your squad and just keep plugging those weak links until yeah until until you're strong enough all over the field that um, injuries or or luck or whatever just affects you less because you're because you're more competent in more areas. But um, yeah, I, I think. Just another thing I wanted to pick up on, actually, because I, was, I mentioned just before we came on air, I was watching the Everton-Brighton match back and um, uh, some of Ben White's qualities on the ball. Um, I, I felt like, it, this is probably going to sound a little bit weird, but because the process hasn't changed too much, where the possession game is, you, you sort of build from your three, you've got two two wide players a little bit further on um, in, in sort of wing-back positions and Gross played quite wide and it was Webster and Gross connecting down the right. And I felt like with White there there may have been a chance for Gross to just receive the ball a little bit further up the field I felt like Gross kept picking up the ball just a little bit too deep and then it struggled to, for you to, to move forward down that side and just the process doesn't change I mean as you said um, Potter is very solution based and he'll make sure that what you're doing moving the ball through the thirds is done well but just that little bit of quality on the ball that 
White has over Webster might have got Gross a little bit further up the pitch and got him to get more crosses in or move beyond um, his player, who I think he struggled against on his side. Dina and um, Gray kept him fairly quiet. But it's just those little things you think of. In the long run, mm. they probably will be fine. But um, just in that game, it definitely was noticeable. Um, yeah, I think this is a good chance to maybe move on to some of the pros and cons under Potter then. Um, I think... Um, Brentford will be really clear on this with more pie as a forward. He he likes to drop deep. He likes to get on the ball and then move mm. into the box later and then very intricate play. Um, interchangeable forward line. It's it's rather than that fixed nine you were talking about that people are desperate for you to recruit. Um, lots mm. of tens mm-hmm. and eights floating around. Lallana's, um, yeah, sort of quite close to Basuma, which um, he's moved a little bit deeper as his career's gone on. Uh, what what do you think some of the pros and cons are from your perspective? Um, the the pros are that we've played some outstandingly good football in terms of um, you know breaking teams down, um, the, the sort of the the high sort of pass sequences and the intricate play. Um, we've scored some wonderful goals off of that. I mean, we've scored off of ten plus pass sequences at Anfield. We've scored against City when when Dan Burn ended up sort of. Um, poking his, his, his rebound shot of, more of a hook really into the net so we, we've scored off some really good moves and it's clearly I'm not sure we're going to say well rehearsed because I don't think these patterns are always strictly sort of set out but knowing the principles of when you know a ball moves into one area that you then want players to, to be in other positions or set out to, to receive certain passes in certain zones or to you know play certain types of passes with the ball um, it, it's very clear you know I think now more going forward than anything I think the first thing we had on the Potter sort of 1920 was we sort of had possession of the ball at the back but we didn't always do too much with it going forward and, and one of those sort of articles I wrote in the 1920 season this was fairly early on but um, the, the point was that we weren't really scoring many goals with high possession sequences and I'm aware that's very tough to do and you know, it's not often how most goals come about um, but I was saying that the goals we were scoring weren't, weren't exactly possible type goals to sort of use that phrase um, we've seen a lot more now I think when I looked at um, the, the goals over sort of last season um, I think our average sort of passes per goal for, for open play sequences was about six which is, is really good um, you, know, you, you think that I think most goals from the old Charles Reap analysis are four passes or fewer um, this is clearly you know goals that are being scored off of longer moves um, and I think there was maybe five goals from 10 plus pass sequences and maybe six which is, is really really nice so um, I think people are really enjoying seeing you know the, the sort of more Barcelona Spanish style domination of the ball, um, keeping it and there's some really nice times against Watford, I think, on you know, first first home game of the season where we were sort of tuning up and fans were olaying as you know, we're sort of <laughs> moving that ball quicker than, than the opponents can move and um obviously I'm very much aware that's it's a it's a boozy day in August where the sun's shining and, and everything seems okay and it might be a far cry from a December summer game when you're losing. But um no I think I think it can be a fun thing to watch sometimes and um I think, I think the cons are that there's just games where we, we, we don't hold on and um, you know, we, we put ourselves in good positions and we, we make errors or, you know, we, we don't quite convert that, that second chance to, to score, to double the lead. Um, I think there's, there's frustrations as it's so much of the, the what's good is it's being done. Um, it's those, it's those sort of final touches. Um, there's this, as I said earlier on, so many of the building blocks have been put in place, I think for people, it's, it's really hard to grasp that, and they obviously are trying every day to welcome this and improve. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yes, I, I don't know, I shouldn't let them up to training and and not doing work on, on these things or not analysing these things and looking for you know, the the one, two percent where they can make things better. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's so close to being a really, really good side that, that people sometimes really struggle that, that we are where we are. But, you know, it, it's football. It, people often say you don't get what you deserve in football, but I, I think that misses the point sometimes that the aim is to put the ball in the back of the net. You don't become a good side just by creating chances. That's not, not the aim of football. It's not the aim to get it in the box. It's to get it in the goal. So, if you, if you don't do that, there's no other way to, to be good at football. So um, we're, we're getting there and we're, we're really close. I think now that they're only going to benefit from, you know, as we were saying about how the academy is set up and, and bringing the players in. We've got, I don't know if either will, will feature, but the two that seem to be now with, with the senior squad in, in Hayden Roberts, who's a great left with the central defender. Um, again, kind of similar to Ben White in terms of the style of um, a, a progressive player. Um, good out wide, good in the back three. Uh, and Taylor Richards, who came off his debut against Everton, um, sort of played in sort of like a 10 role, as you were mentioning, a good left footer, strikes the ball really well from distance. Um, Potter, I, and I probably agree with this assessment, not that Graham Potter needs sort of my um, arbitration at all, um, but a, a really, really good different sort of player that we have, really sort of enigmatic, um, almost like a transition player. He sort of reminds me of what um, Yves Basuma was sort of when he first came in under, under Chris Hutton. Um, if you sort of give him the ball in the counter-attack and you can sort of just let him go, similar to Anthony Knockout as well in that respect too. Um, I think since we got rid of him, uh, we haven't really replaced him. Don't need to necessarily replace but I think that you benefit from having players that can hurt teams in sort of different situations. Um, I think we've got players that can sort of pick the lock and the set defence now. We, we've got that in Gross, got that in Trossard. Um, but yeah, I think those transition players that can hurt teams on the counter um, where we could be more threatening sometimes is is a good thing to have. So Taylor Richards is a great left-footed ball striker. Um, likes to go from outside the box. They won in League One last season, so obviously a big jump to the Premier League. Um, but someone that Potter clearly has in his plans. Um, so looking forward to seeing how how his youngsters doing it. I guess it's just sort of the um, the, the the next class of, of um, Brighton players that sort of graduate and, and come into sort of professional football like that. So that, that on that front, it's it's really exciting. Mm, yeah, awesome, awesome. So a lot of this is. Um underpinned by the colossus i'm going to call him uh, Bissouma. um 
Yeah, I think it's a good time to chat about him. He's such a pivotal player. How mm. how vital is he to the possession and um, out of possession systems? Yeah, he's immense. Uh, I can't remember the specific number, but Opta tweeted out, um, I think since the start of last season, this might have been after the Watford game, he was fifth of all Premier League players for um, for high turnovers. So possession wins within 40 metres of position goal. And, and ironically, I think they tweeted out because um, against Watford, when he, he tackled, I can't remember who the pivot player was, but when Watford tried to play yeah. through us, uh, he, as he often does, he, he goes in with that player dropping in. Um, you know his, his attention to see when players go and reacting so quickly. You know he keeps those distances so short. He prevents players playing on the half turn. Um, you know so he forces them. You know a, a, a worst case for, for us, it's always maybe being bounced left or right. And if they are, it's a risky path. It's being played on the move. Um, I think we were second or third last season for the percentage of our pressures, which which led to a turnover inside five seconds. Um, that's, that's that's one data. They call it successful. I don't always like using that term because. You know, teams will have reasons why they press, and it's not necessary to do exactly that. Um, but he's really, really pivotal to out of possession. Um, a really good player in transition as well. Um, so we've seen on the podcast as well before. Um, this might sound weird, but he's a really good fouler. Um, he re- is really good at making fouls without getting booked, and he makes them really subtly. Where like it might be a, a slight, you know, tug back um, or like a, a slight clip of a player. But I remember this game, the first game back after lockdown against Arsenal. I think he made six fouls and didn't get booked at all. <laughs> And he's one of like very few players to make that many. Um, and he manages to do these often sort of at full flight. He's a really good recovery tackler, like when he's wrong-sided, how he manages to like leap forward and, and get like a hook tackle in where he uses his toes to poke the ball away and only get the ball, not foul players. Is, you know, his timing's impeccable. Um, he's getting better in his forward output now as well, as I, as I was sort of saying, in terms of winning the ball back. And one of my critiques for him was he's really, really great in the first two thirds of the pitch. Sometimes we're just crying out for him to be more in the final third because often when we're sort of recycling the ball in that final third at the edge of the box, he'll get it. And sometimes all he's really got to offer is a shot. And that's really hard to score from those positions when there's loads of bodies in front of you and, you know, you're quite away from goal. Um, and he started to improve that now. His final ball looks like it's getting better. And towards the end of the last season, he started to have some nice periods where he's sort of playing one-twos of players. That he'd feed a ball in and look to run in behind um, to sort of re- receive there. Um, so yeah, that that would make him really, really unstoppable as a player. Um, so he's really pivotal. As you were mentioning, he's started to drop deeper now than ever. Often he'll be. I mean, this was more last season um, when we did sort of have Duffy in the in the centre, but he'll drop deep. He'll receive sort of behind the press. He'll be there in the first phase of build up. Um, you know, looking to to switch switch the play left and right. Um, trying to create those sort of passing angles. Uh, but still a really competent dribbler. Um, someone who sometimes he'll get the ball down. You know, he'll he'll turn off, kick the ball out of his feet. Very very skillful. Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic as a player, um, and someone that's great to have with the fans back in the ground now as well. You know, his relationship with the fans is fantastic. Um, he's, he's a great energy um, mentality. Is great. Obviously, I, I say that without knowing him personally. That's purely from what I see now he plays. But um, there was plenty of media talk. I don't know if anything ever happened in terms of anyone bidding for him. Um, but he was a great player to sort of keep. Um, and yeah, he's 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 only been. Um, only been fantastic and he's he's just good fun as well he's good vibes he likes to dance for full time um, he doesn't seem to take himself too seriously and he sort of just reminds me of like what when you get um, when you when you're probably young yourself David and, and play football um, just well what I try to do not what I ever could do um, but you know sort of things you want to when you get in the ball it's, it's not looking at oh what's my furthest forward pass available it's I want to do five step overs turn with it and not make someone um, and, and basically so, yeah he's great fun <laughs> My hamstring is twinging at the thought of that right now. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but no, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, he's a really fun player to watch. Um, just incredible athlete, incredible on the ball. Um, 
yeah, just just from that Everton game, there's a moment where he took on about three players and ran into the Kure and then mm. sort of sprung himself back up, like with a sort of back half type backflip type thing. Um, I'm not sure what the actual exact yes. name is, but he's like, I'm not beaten. There's lots more in the tank here. You won't stop me. But um, yeah, unfortunately on the losing side, but it wasn't for the want of trying. Um, We'll move on now to a player that um, Brentford and Brentford fans will know really well. Um, last year, there was just this big public discussion and the narrative just went through the roof. It was incredible. But um, yeah, it was, it was a very Brentford-style discussion around the performance of their expected goals at Brighton. Um, and a lot of that fell on Morpai. Um, how much of it do you think was down to Morpai? Like, was it team style? Potter himself or, or back to Morpai. Um yeah, you can be as open on Morpai as you like. We um, we know exactly what he's like. <laughs> um I mean the answer to your question is is all of it. Like all of it does contribute. Um and it's something that sort of Charlie and I have dis- discussed in depth and um I think it's a I, I, I struggle with people using that as sort of their sole assessment um of, of sort of, you know, performance and looking at sort of chance quality and we've we've had people on the podcast before um, sort of coaches that have said um, more about okay you need to look necessarily a bit more in depth and, and I agree it's, it's not necessarily the, the best metric to use looking at sort of one player over a season um, but more of a case of okay when when you then look at the chances you're creating you're creating the right type of chances with this player um, as we were sort of saying that if we're putting in a, a looping cross for um, from from you know from the, the edge of the area for Calvert Lewin versus Neil Mapai it's going to register the same XG um, but besides that you know that we both know that the the chances of it being scored are, are very different um so that that was sort of an angle we, we tried to take on it as well um all, all of it does contribute and one thing Charlie and I've also said is that we try to sort of separate his finishing from the other things he does really really well so he's a ridiculously good press level his ability to continue to sprint in games he doesn't ever seem tired it's fantastic um links play really well drops him really well um, and that's one of the reasons why I really like Danny Welbeck to play alongside him because I think he complements him really well. Um, and there was a really good quote that I read in a thread about Seema that I can link to anyone that wants to, to read about it. Um, and they were saying about how the type of runs that Seema makes often create space for other players. And I think the reason why Mapai struggles is because you mentioned with the tens and the eights that we use that often like to be between that defensive and midfield line. Mapai would often drop in there as well. And we're really wide, as you said, with our sort of wing backs that, that, that often hit the touchline that are chalk on the boot star players. Um, but we don't often have too many players that want to go beyond the last line of defence that are going to push that last line back. Um, and that's something that Welbeck does do. And someone that can pin that back line, pushing back five, six yards, suddenly you've, you know, you've enhanced your pocket of space for, for your nine. So I think there were times where Mapai did miss bad chances. Um, I'm aware that players always go through hot streaks um, and, and bad streaks, but also, you know, a case of if, if you're sort of Graham Potter and you're after sort of an X amount of return of goals, then you might say, OK, I'm not really too bothered if it's going to take him more chances than it needs to. If we're going to get enough goals, if we're going to win games, um, then that's perfectly fine. Likewise, we can have players contribute from other other situations where they score more. So I think it's a really harsh, sole way to evaluate a player um, because I think there's other areas that he makes up for up, makes up for in being like above average. And um, I think that sort of when you look at sort of percentile comparisons of him to other forwards, that that would sort of stand out there. Um, and the, 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 in all honesty, they just were times last season where we just were, were terrible and poor with our finishing. I, I, I did take a, a sort of an in-depth look into it in a, in a piece that I did sort of around Christmas time. And um, one of the big things that I was looking at was sort of shot height and pressure as well with stats bomb for great data people. Um, for anyone that hasn't hasn't read into them sort of too much, and they they posted sort of they've done these case studies on the impact of um, the shot height and the impact of pressure on sort of um, XG, and it, it can in specific situations really bring it down a lot, particularly with pressure. Um, that's why I sort of mentioned about wanting to get in behind more and having those situations where you're sort of 1v goalkeeper. It's not like you've got 
two, three, four defenders in your way that you might be like around the penalty spot, but you've got bodies in the way that you've got to try and you know, you've really got to pick out that like top corner finish. Um so I think that's where perhaps that might affect players psychologically. Um we've all seen that Mapai has sort of quite a hot streak. Um, I don't know how much of that was sort of seen at Brentford. Um unfortunately did didn't get to watch you guys too much um in, in the championship. Um but one thing that I sort of said to Charlie is seeing what his, his temperament can be like sometimes where he can't always control himself um on the pitch when, you know, players get in his head or something. I said, I imagine that it is a lack of composure that you might also have when finishing. Um, and the goals that he does seem to score for us often seem to be more sort of half chances where they're often like snapshots and not where he's got like loads of time to pick a spot off of a cross and it's like the ball is falling to him and it's shot out your feet early. Um, it's quite reactive. Um, we think that maybe he might be a better sort of instinct finisher than he is sort of in, in placing anything. Um, but again, I don't know what he's like at Brentford, but was very good here with his left foot, his right foot and his head. Um, becoming a lot more right foot dominant now um, compared to sort of a couple of seasons ago. Um, but I, I don't think he deserves and you should never solely blame one player. Um, and Potter, I guess, and also deserves criticism for it because if Mapai is performing that terrible, terribly, well, he's still being picked for pretty much every game. Um, so clearly Potter's either doing something wrong there or there's a bigger picture of things that he's looking at that are, are going to decide, you know, why he, um, you know, why, why he's picking him. So I, I don't think Mapai deserved all the criticism that he got. His finishing was incredibly frustrating at times and he missed some bad chances. Um, but I will always revert back to the 25 points that we dropped from winning positions and Mapai's chances that he missed were not worth, I don't think, 25 points. Um, I think that it needs to be a lot more nuanced to look at why we didn't finish as, as high as, as, as we could have um, with some of the performances that, that we put in. Um, and yeah, I, I think Mapai deserves a lot more credit than he gets within the Brighton sphere. I think those that are more... Um, or those like, you know, that are, are qualified, highly qualified coaches or, or the people that coach professionally um, or that do more sort of in-depth analysis and look at it. I think more tactically, he doesn't always come out in the numbers. I think those that can appreciate what he does tactically. Um, and again, you know, we were speaking about um, Basuma's role and the, the goal that Mapai got against um, against Watford. Um, part of that comes about because his role there in being between the two central defenders mm-hmm. to cut the pitch in half, prevent that ball across, forces that pass into the pivot where Basuma's steaming in. Um, and then obviously between the two of them, Basuma can then feed Mapai, who who scores um, with really good composure in that instance, to be fair. But again, the, these are fine details. And um, not only, I think, is he physically capable of Mapai, but mentally, at least defensively, stays very switched on. You know, is, is often seeming to check his shoulders to position himself correctly, to cut off certain lanes, to force certain passes to occur. Um, so that, I think, he, I don't expect fans to gen- genuinely sit early hours and go, you know what, Mapai's really screened the... the uh, the passing lane in, into the four really well today. Um, I, I obviously appreciate goal scoring is a, a lot more important than that, but um, I think some of that gets missed sometimes. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I, I think you're pretty much spot on with most of that. Um, there's a lot to unpack with him. Um, firstly, I guess the the point about finishing and scoring and goals. I mean, if 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 he had so everything he has with his game in terms of pressure, position, and tactically um, on the ball and sort of receiving it to feet. If he if he finished in sort of Harry Kane mould then we're talking probably about a £150 million player here like he's obviously not that mm. so there are going to be deficiencies in his game otherwise he wouldn't have been snapped up at Brentford from a League 2 team and sort of moved through that route so there's there's obviously we have to I think we probably get a bit ahead of ourselves with talking about some of these players but yeah no you're very right on um, some of the Brentford perspectives as well he was um yeah, he can be a little bit frustrating on the t- on the pitch in terms of his temperament. Um, uh, he 
yeah, he he play he's he's one of those types of players. He plays at the edge a little bit. He did more so. I think he's probably eased back a little bit now. But um, he was a small lone striker trying to make an impact for a team um, that wasn't particularly physical. Um, uh, and yeah, he, he's just very good at receiving the ball to feet. And it's it's not that you don't want to play it in front of him. You want to play it into his feet and then link up play and then move forward as a team into the box. A lot of his goals were, you're right, bundles. Um, relying on sort of mistakes and exploiting uh, teams trying to build up and not being quite good enough at it and then giving the ball away in good areas and him exploiting that goalkeeper fumbles like he's very good at sort of making sure that if a goalkeeper has made a mistake he's around just to knock something in a lot if you watch a lot of his goals back there's a few of those in there um and yeah he, he's just a he's just a nuisance forward isn't he but just very intelligent and um ball striking isn't the greatest thing about him i think you're right on that timing when there is that time to settle um you'd like him to be better but he can still develop that and he might get even better he's still still a, a youngish player so um yeah there's loads to unpack with him but um I think what what you what you do have to do with him as a forward and you're talking about it with Welbeck if you if he is up there you can't really you can't really develop a direct style game I think it has to be playing through him and through the thirds and then mm. what what are you doing then? And that's where Brentford moved slightly away from that. We we couldn't get out of the championship with him as our forward, basically. We were never going to be good enough for 90 minutes across 46 games with him as a forward because you need to have that direct game. You need to be scoring more from set pieces. Um, you need to be scoring goals from just just quicker attacks instead of just building through it. So you have to be very good to play like that for so many games. And it caught us out. And we have moved towards Tony. And in the end, Tony was the one, the, forward, the slightly different forward, who's um, not quite yeah. as technical, not quite as capable, but the ball sticks to him when it goes forwards and he brings other people into play. Like uh, We haven't seen that for a long time. And that's in, in the end what got us up. So... Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's horses for courses, isn't it? I guess I'm going to finish with, and it's all dependent on how you want to play and your style. And um, yeah, we, we enjoyed watching him play a lot, but there was something missing for him for us at that time. And um, it looks like he's doing a really good job for you. And um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to seeing him. Um, okay, let's go on to a bit of shape then. Um, so Brentford obviously undoubtedly going to continue with three five two. Um, how how do you think you're going to sort of deal with that? Um, we, we're we, the first three games, we've been quite conservative, um, uh, like progressive carries are low. Um, we're trying to get the ball forward, we're passing. We're not committing too many players out of their positions. We're holding positions quite a lot. Um, uh, and yeah, we're, we're trying to rely on set pieces. I think most of our goals have come from that so far. How, do, how does Brighton, how, how are Brighton going to deal with that? And do any of those exploit any of your weaknesses? I'd probably say so, to be fair. I think that's that's a good test for, for us to have um, in the sense that we've, we've been threatened by set pieces a lot. Um, getting better since Robert Sanchez came in. Um, we've now got Shane Duffy as well, who's another, another really good area dominant player. Um, I guess it's now about setting up with the right players, you know, marking or blocking the right people or right zones, um, and, and timing things correctly. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a bigger picture thing. It's, it's not, it's not as, I think, basic as some people are often see it with, with set pieces. Um, also obviously conceding them less readily would, would help sometimes as well. Um, I think our biggest weakness often comes in sort of defensive transition where we've got better with the counter press, um, but often Potter likes to use rotations. There was a really good one um, in, in the Watford game, I think, where he had sort of Gross out on the right in that sort of fullback role. Um, but then often was pushing Gross on beyond the midfield line, almost pinning the, 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 the left back for Watford and having Trossard drop into that pocket to receive on the half turn when, when Duffy would get the ball um, or Webster would get the ball out on the right. So he will move players into quite funky shapes sometimes um, when you look at it from sort of above like a, like a bird's eye view um, which can leave us very porous at times very very um, susceptible to um, considering the counter which was exactly what happened against Everton um, 
as we were sort of mentioning off pub before we started about sort of how they played against us and you know a team that can attack with direct speed that can go through the centre. I think they had a really nice sort of back through pattern from what I remember Everton where the ball sort of went straight into Calvert-Lewin who sort of chested it, set it off and they went and ended up with Damari Gray. Um, I think it was against Duffy 1v1 who did, did the right thing, showed him outside uh, away from goal, I think onto Damari Gray's weaker foot um, and it was just a really smart finish from, from Gray into the bottom corner where Sanchez was, was very close to it and I think he had not taken sort of a, a tiny quarter step across as the shot was about to come in, he, he might have got his foot to it. Um, but yeah, that, that's where we've been vulnerable sort of for a while. And it's a trade-off. Um, you can't always be good at everything and you have to accept that you can't stop everything happening on a football pitch. It's what you do and don't want to occur. Um, and for the most part, I think we're getting better and we're okay now. There's been times where like, we've you know, had really good recovery tackles on Basuma or we've got back with numbers really quickly and we've, we've you know allowed the transition to occur, but it's not ended up with, with a shot on goal occurring, which which is good. Um, so that, that, that would be, you know... Uh, Again, a, a possible worry of how we, we could potentially be, be carved apart there. Um, so that's, yeah, ironically, you've probably got some strengths in our weak areas. Um, but I think these are good tests to have. You see how you've progressed as a team. There's a very memorable moment for me from last season where we were one up at Anfield uh, in injury time and they got a corner at the cop end, obviously, weren't any fans there. Um, but I thought, oh God, here we are. This is a test as a side who I think we were only second to lead at that time for goals conceded from set pieces of, you know, here's your chance to to win a game at Anfield. Can you do? Can you defend a corner against the the, the reigning champions? Um, and uh, as it was, the ball came out towards the penalty spot, or definitely in that second six yard box area. And Robert Robert Sanchez came speeding through everyone and, and jumped straight straight up into the into the sort of the, the Liverpool sky and, and held on to that ball and never felt more relieved in my life. I don't think. And um, so I think these are good tests to see how you've truly evolved as a club. Where you know. Um, the, the pressure mounts and um, it's times where you, you've been hurt in these situations before. Can you get better at them? And it, it's not going to be an overnight quick process, but if the underlying numbers and what you see starts to improve over time, I think you can be, you can definitely be, be happy with that. Mm, yeah. Great stuff. Um, I, I kind of see the league now split into three chunks, um, like that top four, and then you've got like the middle eight to 10 clubs and then this bottom six, which I see sort of being caught adrift a little bit in terms of quality. Where, where do you think Brighton lie in that? Do you think there's, do you think there's more chance of you guys pushing on to the, that sort of t- that edge of that top four? Or do you think there's more of a conversation about you being dragged towards that bottom six or in between? Um, well, we've, we've... I'd like to say in between, but the reality is we've been a bottom six club um, in terms of our finishing position for, I think, every Premier League season. So I, I can't say anything other than that for now. Um, so that's just not been the case. I know our underlying numbers might put us higher, but in terms of our sort of overall output, um, that's that's truly been what it is. So I'd like to hope that with consistency in performance, I think that's what we lack sometimes, where we, we can really turn on the style and we can be really good. I know that's obviously not an easy thing to solve consistency. Um, that's probably the hardest thing to solve, in fact. But I, I think we're still bottom six until we sort of prove otherwise, if, if that's a fair assessment. Um, I think that has to be earned. I don't think we can just say, oh, we've got good XG numbers that we deserve to go up to the middle eight to ten. Um, we need to win games. And um, if we continue to do what we've done this season of, you know, see our games, keep clean sheets when, we, when we've when we been leading, um, come back from games, um, be, be, be more ruthless in the final third and um, show better conversion, better composure, actually manage to find the corners more readily when we're shooting. Um, finishing, I think, more with the one touch as well, then um, that that will push us further up. But until then, um, I'd love to say otherwise, but I don't think that's fair because um, the the numbers say otherwise. Yeah, awesome. And um, just kind of rounding up now, Liam. Um, not so much a score prediction, but how do you see the game um, this weekend going? Um, that's a really really good question. Um, let less of see see how it's going. More so, I'm looking forward to seeing. There's normally sort of my answer to sort of mm. these questions because I I really don't know. I, I'm always intrigued to see what Potter's setup is. 
um, to who he sort of put to wear. Obviously against Burnley, I was intrigued to see when he went with Grossen, um he went with Gross inverted on the left and he went with March inverted on the right. And I was quite intrigued to see that, you know, my my sort of guess for that was number one defensively was trying to deal with their right side of winger approach in, in Goodmanson and Dwight McNeil, um, who play on the same side as their their dominant foot. Um, whether that was a, a ploy to show them inside and stop a crossing threat. Um, I guess it also opened, that would have opened up sort of those inside passing lanes to um, the midfield three that we had. Um, so intrigued to see, yeah, how, how he deals with, with the Brentford threat and how he, how he approaches, you know, with the press. Is it the same as what we've gone for recently? Um, that, that, that always intrigues me. I'm also in particularly intrigued to see, it, you know, from the um, final third set pieces to include like long throws and stuff and that, to see how he uses Sanchez. Because last season, Sanchez was sort of a weapon for us versus long throws. I remember against West Brom where he'd often start like, edge of a six-yard box, he was very visibly prepared to come and claim it. It was almost a bit disrespectful sometimes, <laughs> um, where he's like, I'm going to stand here. And it's something I've considered before of saying, you know, why don't teams use a keeper against a long throw? I appreciate that sort of risk attached to it. Um, it's, it's humongous, but it makes sense, I think, to use your biggest sort of aerial, aerial weapon um, against their biggest aerial weapon. Um, so that that would intrigue me to see if it, how, you know, sort of how it compares to sort of last season, um, what he's done previously, um, and to how we can sort of mitigate a threat of a really good side. And, I think also the, the opportunity fair against a side who have started really strongly. Um, that I think you've considered what one goal that you would not conceded. So how would you go about breaking down a team that three other sides have really struggled to break down? Um, really is is the um, is, is the part that we've struggled historically really with breaking down low blocks. But getting better at it, we're still not great. Um, we've not quite got that sort of Kevin De Bruyne ball to slit a defence. Mm. Like no matter how many defenders are in the way. Um, so to see what he does there, whether it's a bit more conservative. I remember against Leeds, we, we sat back at Ellen Road last season and hit them on the break um, really well. And we ended the game with about 30% possession. Um, and I think our XG title was still higher. Like we, out, we outshot them. Um, so we, we were visibly better going forward than what they were and used our possession much more directly. Um, so, yeah, really interesting to see what his approach will be. Will he fight fire with fire? Will he go for something different? Um, and the personnel that he uses as well, because Solly March, I believe, is back in contention. Mark Kukulea might be available. Um I think Joel Veltman could could be back. Um, Dan Byrne might be back as well. So he's got lots of options now to see what he does with it. It might be sort of one of the the largest available squads that he's had for for a while, um, at least this season. So that that would definitely be interesting. Yeah, that's great. I won't ask you to pick the first eleven then with all those things. <laughs> I've got no chance. <laughs> but Liam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, that's been absolutely amazing. Um, whereabouts can you can we find you online? Can you remind us of your um, your handles and your podcast? course thank you so much for having me first and foremost it's, it's been an absolute pleasure um so this twitter handle is at albion analytics um and the podcast is on spotify uh, apple podcast expected goals g-u-double-l-s is in seagulls um so yeah come find us over there if you want to see um any any brighton related chat and some some sort of pro normal pie stuff as well we do quite like normal pie over there and um, so we're, we're very friendly people um and yeah we'll wish, wish you guys in brentford the, the best of luck in 36 of your 38 games this season um <laughs> I obviously don't need to tell you what, what the other two are <laughs> great stuff um, yeah thanks so much for joining us again um, yeah that's it for today remember the watchword is Bees Tactical uh, check out the Substack, review the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts um, share the podcast support on Patreon and uh, yeah best of luck Bees and we'll catch you next time
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.